What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast, where the seats are cold, but the takes are hot. Today, we've got another episode coming at you, episode four here. Really excited to get into it today. Uh, Brett, how you doing? Doing well. Just excited to get this episode going, get another uh, piece of content out there for you guys. Our weekly uh, normal episode every Thursday night at six. And we got a lot of action uh, across a few different sports this week, so a lot of stuff to unfold and a lot of info to get into. Absolutely. Uh, definitely some college basketball for sure today. That's kind of be the got to be the big one. Um, I know there's a baseball is going to get rolling here pretty soon. A lot of NBA stuff to talk about as playoffs uh, getting near. Got a couple things the NFL to touch on, but I'll let you get us started with golf today, Brett. Yeah, um, pretty normal week in the golf world. Um, we're about to get a little busier with a little few more significant events here coming up. As for last week, though, uh, the Valspar Championship. Sam Burns won it. Uh, he won a two-hole playoff at 17-under, and the winner uh, got a $1.4 million payday. Uh, this week, today, the second round of action is wrapping up of the five-day World Golf Championship Dell Technologies Match Play event down the road where we are from in Austin. Uh, they're playing at the Austin Country Club right on Lake Austin next to the Pennybacker Bridge. And that event will conclude Sunday. Uh, as for next weekend, most players that are currently in Austin right now will travel down to San Antonio for the Valero Texas Open, which is played at the TPC San Antonio Oaks course. Uh, last year, Jordan Spieth won it. And as for in two weeks, we got the Masters, arguably the biggest event in golf. And that begins the weekend of April 7th. And uh, Bryson DeChambeau will not be participating in the Masters, as will Phil Mickelson. He will not be participating in the Masters for the first time since 1996. And a little bit of smoke going around on Twitter in the golf world. Um, the Masters website released the lineup for participants. And while there has been nothing said, Tiger Woods is included in that lineup. I don't oh, know how legit. Are you serious? It is. I don't Woo! know how legit um, it is. I don't know if Tiger is just really a placeholder for him and he hasn't said anything. I don't know how he's coming along in his rehab. Um, so really nothing of too much substance there, but it's at least encouraging to see that. Um, I'm sure he'll make a statement here soon on his official stance and if he'll be participating in the uh, Masters or not. I would love to see him play. Again, I, we mentioned it uh, I think probably the first pod. I remember saying, like, he doesn't have anything else to prove, but I would love to see him come back and play just for the hell of it. Um, and yeah, that would be, be awesome. awesome. You got anybody you're keeping your eye on for this weekend at the match play? Um, I know I you like, do. I like a few guys. I know you do. I re- there's not really anyone in the golf world that I don't like. I mean, yeah. Will Zalatoris, he's a young American um, really, I think he's like 22 years old or so, and he's come on really strong the past eight months or so. He's playing pretty well. He won today pretty handily, and I could see him win an event here soon in the next month or so. Um, he's also a sleeper to win the Masters, I believe, so keep an eye mm-hmm. on that. And But I think the Masters will be competitive, as it always is, and I think yeah. a lot of guys will shoot low. Um a lot of anticipation building up to the event this year. It's the first event with full capacity 
in the last since 2019 really because last year they had limited fans 2020 the delayed masters that was in november of that year had no fans so definitely a lot of anticipation building up to april 7th yeah and then uh actually on the same day as the masters beginning april 7th opening day for the mlb um really looking forward to that i cannot tell you how happy i'm going to be with baseball mlb baseball is back nearly every day my routine used to be go through my day kind of unwind at the end of the night with some Dodgers baseball. Sometimes it's not necessarily unwinding. Sometimes a little stressful at, at some points, but uh, I'm really excited about baseball coming back. I love, I mean, most people don't love baseball and don't like baseball. I love baseball. I like it better than basketball. That's just my opinion. Um, can't wait for baseball to be back. Got a couple, couple new, or I guess a couple news points to talk about one contract, Carlos Correa finally off the market signs with the Minnesota twins to a three-year, $105 million contract, which comes in at the largest annual contract ever for an infielder at 35 a year. I don't know about you, Brett. I'm a little surprised at this decision. Um, Minnesota, not necessarily the, the, the place I'm surprised by, but I'm surprised by the contract itself. Um, it's a three-year deal, but there's an out after each of the first two years, meaning he could be a free agent at any point in the contract that he wants to after the season. I'm a little surprised by that. I thought he would lock in the long-term money, similar to what Corey Seager, Trevor Simeon, Trevor Story did this offseason. Um, so I don't I mean, I, I don't mind the contract for them. I think if that's what he was going to get, it's just over what Corey Seager got. Um, but I just want to hear your thoughts about kind of what, what the contract, uh, ended up breaking down as in terms of void years, that kind of thing. Yeah, I don't, I think he's gone after two years. The third year is really weird for Minnesota. Um, it's Minnesota's largest contract they've ever handed out. It just surpassed, uh, Josh Donaldson's who, was a few years ago and I think Correa I mean he's a top five shortstop I think in the league and probably top three yeah probably, top probably. Three. but he earns a contract um but the way it's laid out I don't think he plays it out um like I said I think he's gone for two years right back on the market and hopefully beating out his contract he just signed for more money a year I'm sure all the contracts will go up in the next few years, just as they do in every sport. So look for him to get a big payday here in a couple of years again. Or is he going to make a run at him again in a year or so? I don't know. Um, you're talking about your nightly routine watching the Dodgers. It's kind of hard to have a routine when your team routinely loses 100 games a year. <laughs> um, they don't really yeah. – I've liked a lot of the moves they've made in terms of drafting and their minor league – decisions to elevate guys and get them more playing time. They've made the right moves there. I believe they have a five minor league organizations that do a really good job of developing talent. And the Orioles have all the pieces throughout their organization to make a run in the next few years. While it's probably three years down the road, I think they have the pieces in place. I just wish they would do more at the, prof at the MLB front sign free agents, sign proven guys, and don't rely on these young 20, 21, 22-year-old guys to come in and produce and carry your team. Um, it's not always the best avenue to take. Uh, in a rebuilding organization, you kind of want to have that veteran presence at every position, and it also helps the development of the young guys. So I'll still be on the lookout. I'll watch most of the games, um, but we'll see how they do. Not expecting too much. Hopefully they make a run at a couple good players next year because I guess really they're all gone and we have about two weeks till opening day. So not a whole lot to look forward to this offseason for the Orioles, but hopefully next offseason we can 
make a change, but not expecting too much. I mean, our division's loaded with the Yankees, Blue Jays, Red Sox, all spending a good bit of money. Um, so I really don't expect a whole lot for the Orioles. I just want to see them develop and improve off last year. Yeah. Yeah. I can see, I can see them making a run at Correa, honestly, in a year or so. Um, yeah. Just, I mean, they had interest this time around. It sounds like he opted for short-term money for some reason, but. Um, yeah, I've always had interest we'll in top-notch infielders. Um, but just as of late, the new ownership doesn't really want to shell out the money that the they did five years ago. But yeah. um, we did just announced about around three o'clock today that Andrew Miller, the two-time all-star and 2016 ALCS MVP chooses to retire after 16 seasons. Um, I remember he was dominating a few years ago in those playoffs and he was on the Orioles for a little bit as most pitchers do. He wasn't awesome on the Orioles. Um, Really no one that's pitched for the Orioles in the last 20 years has done anything worth anything. John um, means legend. Means John means 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 he is nice. playing pretty well. He has fallen off a little bit, but he he's nice. still a lot to look forward to. He's only a third year in the league. Um, Disgusting changeup! Oh my god! Yeah, mm. but he's not pitching ninja. He's not pitching ninja quite a bit. A few times, yeah. <laughs> Andrew Miller had a pretty nice career, and uh, be looking to see what teams do to get their pitching fixed down the road because he provided a lot of value to the teams he was on. Absolutely. And then I guess that's kind of switch over. You have anything else from MLB, I guess, before we – I was just going to say that was pretty much it. Yeah. There wasn't – MLB's been pretty quiet. It's spring spring training. There's not much going on right now other than, I mean, you get your starters playing a couple ABs and you get your pitchers going maybe two or three innings. Not, Not a lot's going on. Uh, most teams take spring training to kind of see what they have in their minor league system and their bench players and their and their role players. Um, so it's an exciting time if you're if you're big into that in baseball. I'm not particularly. I just it's hard to kind of find a. It's just, there's so much inconsistency with minor league ball. It's hard to, hard to follow sometimes. So um, that's all that's really there. Um, and I guess we'll shift over to NCAA baseball. Uh, if you want to take take uh, take the first crack at this, Brett. All right, yeah. Um, we got a big weekend coming up ahead of us, uh, really the first week weekend of conference play for most conferences. Um, for As for the rankings, Ole Miss remains at number one overall for the second week in a row. They host Tennessee this upcoming weekend in a three-game set. It's uh, going to be a top-five matchup because Tennessee's number five. Arguably the matchup to watch across college baseball this week. Uh, Tennessee baseball's gotten the limelight on them a few times. They dropped 29 runs earlier in the non-conference play. They garnered a good bit of attention, and now they have a pitcher throwing just over 100, 102, 103 consistently, which also went viral a few days ago. So that would be a fun matchup to look forward to, kind of look back, Probably won't watch it. We'll look back at the box scores and see how things went. See who wins that series. It'll be interesting. But as for the Big 12 and as for Tech more specifically, the Longhorns travel to Lubbock this weekend to face Tech in a three-game set. 
to open conference play for both teams. Um, UT opened the season at one. They were the favorites in pretty much every ranking. They got a really nice pitching rotation, two top-notch pitchers, um, not the highest level of pitching, but still good relievers. And they got a really nice lineup through and through. They got about four guys hitting over 320 right now, I believe it is, headlined by Ivan Melendez, the Hispanic Titanic. Um, be interesting to see how that lineup fares this weekend in Lubbock. I don't know if you saw, but their uh, one of their pitchers, Tommy Witt, or sorry, Tanner Witt, rather, uh, is going to have Tommy John surgery. He uh, it was announced I think a couple weeks ago that he got hurt, and then they announced that he's having Tommy John. Um, a little bit of a blow to their rotation, but they can absolutely sustain it. They're loaded. I mean, yep, they're the way to go. I mean, they they brought back everybody, so I mean, while it hurts, they still have another number one starter. So it's not like they're they're hurting real yep. bad there. Um, I'll be interested to see how some how some stuff shakes shakes out across the country conference wise. LSU Florida is another one to match, an eight versus twenty one. Um, and I'm curious to see what UCLA does against Arizona. UCLA has looked good at times this season, looked bad at times this season. Um, same with Arizona. So I'm looking forward to see how that shakes out. Um, but Arizona was, Arizona has looked really good as as of late. They're up to eleven in the polls. So um, be curious to see what happens there. But Again, college baseball. I think we've said it before. It, anybody can beat anybody every any given week. It's like, unless it's Mary Mac, then they're they're losing. Yeah. They suck. But um, no, it, it's any given any given weekend. A team can lose to anybody for the most part, um, which which I love about it. So um, a lot of parity. Which I guess speaking parity, we'll go to the NBA here. A lot of parity this year in the NBA. Um, Kyrie Irving is back playing at home games in every game for the Nets or nearly every game as the New York or state of New York today lifted the vaccine mandate for athletes. Um, basically saying, if you're not vaccinated, you can, uh, you can now play in games and arenas, that kind of thing. Um, this is my hot take for the episode, hot take from the cold seat. Uh, if the Nets get Ben Simmons back, which is a big if, but if they get him back in time for their second round playoff matchup, because they should draw, probably Chicago or Miami in round one. I don't think they need him to beat those teams. They've been really in the regular season, but with Kyrie back, I think, I think the Nets are better than those two teams. Um, they get Ben Simmons back. I'm hammering plus 500 on their odds to win the finals right now. I'm hammering. There's this, there's this gif or gif, however you want to pronounce it of Yoshi from Mario, like hammering, like, like slamming a hammer. And that's the gif I'll use right now on my, on the Brooklyn plus 500 odds. If Ben Simmons right. is back, um, those odds will probably stay, probably hold for the rest of the rest of the regular season, and by then we should have clarity on Ben Simmons. So hammer those odds while you can if, if you're into the the betting over there. Um, but I say that because Kevin Durant looks like 2018 LeBron, where LeBron just put the squad on his back and willed that team into a playoff berth and willed them to the finals. And there's no super team to come out of the West for them to see. So I think if they can get to the finals, sign, seal, deliver. KD's getting a third ring. Yeah, I could definitely see it. Um... I think the Nets are going to get hot at the right time, getting guys back. In the East, there aren't really a whole lot of competitors. Um, it's really just Sixers. And you got those teams at the top that are all within a few games of each other. But I think Miami's still in first. Uh, but overall, the teams in second, third, and fourth have the same record. So the top four seed teams in the east are all within 
a game and a half of each other, which is crazy. Yeah, Boston's moved up. They're one of those teams that are a game and a half back. They've won five in a row. Um, As for the West, if the Suns can pull out a win at 9 Eastern tonight against the Nuggets in Denver, they clinch the one seed with eight games remaining. It's pretty crazy. They've won six in a row. They have a nine-game lead on the rest of the West. Pretty crazy that they're this far ahead of everyone else across the whole league, really. Um, they look good. They've they've had the luxury of health, though. They've been lucky to should have been healthy. Um, yeah. Which should stick with them to the playoffs. It's just um, when you've got a whole squad that can play together for that long, when you get rolling, I mean, it, they're rolling right now. So I think I think they might be my favorite to come out of the West and maybe going back on my Golden State take earlier in the year yeah i mean they've just sustained that momentum all season long really haven't fallen off at all um but it's exciting playoffs coming up spurs are a game and a half out of the play in so we'll see what they can do there with nine games remaining but it'll be interesting to see who wins the play in um what the matchups are in the first second round and then obviously the finals kind of pretty much know what teams are in the finals after we see how they play in the first round because of how much parity there's been in the NBA this year. That's pretty yeah, much we'll, it. We'll probably we'll, – I was going to say, we'll probably get more into the NBA a little more in depth once playoffs are rolling around. Um, yeah. But they're still kind of dry up too, so I think it'll work nicely for the NBA to get a little more coverage here um, once some of their stuff dies down too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just wanted to give you all an update on the rankings, figuring who we got, went in, kind of what the deal is with the state of the teams and who's hot right now. But yeah. that's that's pretty much all we got for y'all for the NBA. Really, the bulk of this episode is going to be geared toward March Madness and the Sweet 16 more specifically. Uh, March Madness kicked off a week ago today, and – it started with 64 teams, and very quickly we are down to 16. Um, a lot of teams, I was shocked that didn't make it to the Sweet 16. I felt like we wouldn't have as many weird upsets that we've had. St. Peter's beating Kentucky is something I didn't see coming at all, especially how Kentucky played in the SEC tournament, losing to Tennessee. Um, I watched the Calipari interview a day later and when the bracket came out and he just seemed like he had his guys in order, ready to play St. Peter's, not worrying about anything after that. Um, but they didn't. They don't have to worry about anything after that because that was the – they were one and done in the NCAA attorney. But I was shocked Tennessee lost in the round of 32. I didn't see them losing to Michigan by I think eight it was. Mm. Yeah. Um, Michigan's really impressed me. Who else? I thought TCU really impressed me. They deserved to win that game against Arizona if yeah. the ref wasn't blinded by the Arizona defender. Um, coincidentally, it was not intentional. But I think who else got upset? I mean, uh, let's see. Let me go back to the bracket and get some. Providence some real... looked impressive. A lot of people yeah. had them losing and not making it to the Sweet 16. I mean, Baylor got upset, but I mean, right. I I thought Baylor was the most overrated one we've had, and they kind of got put there by default because none of the twos stepped to the stepped up to the plate and won their conference tourney. Um, them getting upset wasn't super shocking in my opinion. Just again, due to the fact that they 
they just they've been they're not hurt they're not healthy they haven't played as a as a team in a while and they're missing some guys and so that wasn't super surprising um i mean i don't think alabama losing to notre dame is super shocking either again michigan beating csu wasn't surprising uh, I guess actually I'll say this: Richmond beating Iowa shocked me. Iowa, I thought Iowa was going to make a run. I, I I had actually I had Iowa in a couple brackets beating Kansas and getting to the Elite Eight. Um, they were that hot. I mean that's the biggest thing. They were hot, right? So I was shocked that Iowa dropped that opener. Um, but I was I've been impressed with the Big Twelve overall. Like mm-hmm. I said, like you said, it sucks for Baylor just because the state of the health of that roster and. Felt like they could have made a run again this year if they were fully healthy. They just ran into the wrong team. I mean, UNC's hot. I had them going to the Elite Eight in my main bracket. Hope that can happen if they can pull out the win against UCLA tomorrow night. But it's just it's college basketball. I love the way the tournament's set up. Mentioned it last week. It's nice when you can match a dozen different conferences or so against each other for one big champion. Um, Absolutely. And we got some good matchups here the next couple of days in the Sweet 16, and the Elite Eight kicks off on Saturday. So we're kind of going to get into the matchups, the spreads, and who we have winning each game and who we have in the Final Four of the teams remaining because we both have some teams in the Final Four, I believe, that are no longer in the tournament. Yep. Um, so this is interesting. I'm trying to see if the spread changed. Because I thought it did. I thought I just saw something. The spread changed. You can go ahead on your on your picks. I'm just looking at. I thought a spread just moved, but it, I may even see something wrong. But I've got a Twitter notification that kind of drew my eye to that. But I'm, I think I'm tripping. Um, All right. So tonight guess, we have yeah. at six o'clock. We got Arkansas versus Gonzaga. Gonzaga's favored by nine and a half. I got Gonzaga winning that game, but I got Arkansas covering. I feel like Gonzaga will win by eight or so. Nine and a half is a big spread for Arkansas, who's got an All-American. Um, but it'll be really interesting to see how Arkansas takes care of the bigger guys on that Gonzaga roster. Yeah, I I said – I thought last week that Memphis maybe uh, could upset Gonzaga, and they almost did. But I said that because they had a, a Jalen Duran who's a monster big. I don't think Arkansas has a big that can handle either of these guys. And I think Gonzaga wins, and they cover nine and a half, I think. I just I don't think Timmy and Holmgren are going to be too much for Arkansas's bigs. I'm not saying that they have terrible bigs. They have their bigs are fine. It's just I don't know if they have good enough bigs. They don't have a Jalen Duran to handle these guys and to and to match up inside with Chet, um, which I think is the is the biggest problem teams have had this year. And and when they have been able to match up, Nimhard's gone off, and I think he's he's the guy who could carry this team to the to the to the Final Four and eventually a Natty. So I'll, I'll take Gonzaga and the Gonzaga to cover. That's going to be an interesting game to see. I think nine and a half is a really good spread for that game. I thought Memphis was probably their toughest matchup until they would play us if we win tonight and they win tonight. That would be the matchup on Saturday. As for the game at 630 tonight, we have Michigan versus Villanova and 11 versus two. Villanova is favored by five in that. Um, I got Nova winning and covering. I think Nova will probably win by 10 or so. I think – Michigan's luck runs out. Nova's a really good team. They have an All-American. Similar to our roster, they're just a very balanced team. Um, while I do have a one dominant player, they also can score if you shut him down, and that's what I think a lot of the teams in this tournament can't do. So I'm taking Nova and 
Nova covering by five. Yeah, I was I was always gonna pick Michigan uh, to cover. I just didn't, I, I was in between who I wanted to who I thought would win this game. Um, I'm pulling for Villanova. I kind of don't like Michigan right now. I just I don't I'm tired of seeing them rewarded with winning when the whole Jawan Howard thing went down at the end of the end of the end of the season. I thought that was just just so poorly handled by everybody involved. Um, but I think Michigan gets it gets it done tonight. Um, they are really talented, and if they play to their potential, similar to Memphis, if they play to their potential with that, all that talent, they could be really good. And Nova's a team that I, I don't really know how to feel about. Um, similar to some of these other Big East teams that haven't really seen as much of a challenge yet. Um, I don't know if Villanova, you know, I mean, since conference play started, which is, you know, January, have they seen a team this good, this talented? That That's my mindset coming into this and I don't know if they have and I think if Michigan can get up early I think they could sustain potentially and, and hold off long enough to get it done so I'll take Michigan to cover the plus five and to get the W All right. and then I think third game tonight we have is Houston versus Arizona Arizona's favored by one and a half and that game is at nine east, nine central ten eastern so the late game tonight. It's the latest of the four game set we have, and that's if it starts take... on time too. They may, I don't True. think they're gonna start on time. True. Most tournament games have been running up to 30, 45 minutes late. I'm gonna take uh, Houston, and I'm gonna pick them to cover. Obviously, because I've been winning. I think they win by four or so, if I had to guess. Arizona, like I said earlier, shouldn't be here. It should be TCU, but just how it is, and. I think Houston has more depth than Arizona. So I think that'll pay dividends for them down the stretch when you get to that final five minutes of the game and you're trying to get that lead and build that lead. So I'll take Houston. Yeah, I'm with you on this one. I think Houston was a team going into the tournament I thought could be upset in round one by UAB or could roll them, and they rolled them. Um, they were a team that's been – again, kind of a team that's been up and down this year. They've had their, they've had their struggles um, kind of in the – towards the kind of the middle third – uh, or the third quarter of their conference season. They struggled a little bit, and they've since picked it up. Um, so I'll take UH to win this one. Obviously, I think they're gonna, if they're going to win, they're going to cover it one and a half. I don't think this one's going to be ahead of buzzer beater tonight. Um, if I had to pick the margin of victory, I'll say between seven and four. It's hard to, it's hard to determine that in college basketball because everybody fouls. If you're, if you're up, you know, if you're down five with 10 seconds to go, everyone fouls. So I think it's stupid. But right. – um, I'm going to take UH. I, I'm, I'm with you again. I think Arizona kind of got bailed out against TCU for a couple of reasons. I thought TCU's head coach had called a timeout when Mike Miles got boxed at, at the you know up by the up by the half court line, and then when the turnover happened, it was a foul. So it should have been TCU here. I, I agree with you there. Um, but I'm going to take UH to get it done tonight and avenge avenge their fellow Texas team's loss. Yep, I like it. I really hope UH can pull it out. Um, the third game on the slate tonight, but we're saving it for last today, is our Red Raiders facing the Blue Devils in San Francisco at the Chase Center where the Warriors play. Tech is the only team out of the Sweet 16 matchups that is favored being the lower seed. Tech's a three seed, Duke's a two seed. This was a lot. This was a matchup a lot of people were looking forward to hopefully seeing when the brackets were revealed. Tech favored by one. Um, 
I don't know how much bias is playing into this. I think it's a really close game. I think it's back and forth the whole game. Duke has two lottery picks led by a top three guy in Bancaro. I'm going to take Tech by three. I think they match up really well with this Duke team, and Duke hasn't seen a defense like Tech's all season. So I'm going to pick them, and I also didn't like how Duke has played the last five games or so, which really are the games that matter. Um, They dropped Coach K's finale against UNC, which you just can't do that. His last game at Cameron Indoor, you can't lose that game, especially to UNC. And they lost to Miami, I believe it was, and then they got rolled by Virginia Tech in the ACC title game. So I'm looking forward to seeing that game tonight. I think it could go either way. It's going to come down to how well Tech's offense can score. Yeah, I'm going to pick Tech minus one again here, just like you. Um, I don't think there's bias in that pick. I, I do think Tech, to your point, is the best defense Duke's seen all year. Um, I don't think Duke's bigs have had – they're going to have to battle like they will tonight. They're going to have – Paolo Mancaro is going to – and um, Williams, I'm forgetting his first name. Mark? Mark, yes, Mark Williams. Um, they haven't seen bigs like they're going to see tonight, especially with Silva. I don't think they've seen bigs that can do offensively what Bryson Williams can do. Um, I was talking to my dad earlier, actually, and I told him in the car when I was driving home from class today, I told him, you know, while Bryson was kind of a liability last week on defense at at times with the switch, um, Mark Adams, first of all, made an incredible adjustment in the Notre Dame game to fix that and went to the zone matchup. Um, And then after the first switch, they switched back to man. So it was a a great, great adjustment there. So that'll, that'll play tonight. I don't think – I think at times Paolo Bancaro, he may get a little overwhelmed with the offensive skill set that Bryson Williams brings because he's just, he's just so young. He hasn't – when you're a, a freshman and you're going to Duke, how often in high school are you going to see a, a big that has the repertoire that that Bryson Williams has? And that's not to say that, that Bancaro is a bad defender. I don't think he's a bad defender at all. I just think that he's young, and it's hard to replicate an elite post skill set like that offensively that, uh, that Bryson has. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be really close. Another nail biter down to the end. And I'm, I'm with you. It's going to come down to what Tech's offense can do. If they can avoid the slump. Um, last week, it was the beginning of the game. Uh, they only scored 26 in the first half. I'm really hoping they can do better than that. Um, I'll kind of, just since this is a Tech game and we know a lot, I'm going to go the guy that we're going to have to have, have another big night. And I, I think it's, I said this to you before the tournament started, we were talking about it, just us, not on the pod. Kevin O'Banner is going to be the key to success tonight. If he can keep, if he can pull down boards with those, with those two bigs and he can be effective from long range, it's going to be a, it's going to be a good night for the Red Raiders. I think um, he had 15 and 15 against Notre Dame, easily the MVP of the game. Argument could be made for, for Marcus Santos Silva for the defensive effort at the end of the game, but KO's 15 boards. It's, it's not replaceable. Um, so it's going to take a good game from Kevin O'Banner again, but I think the Red Raiders get it done and cover on the minus one. If I had to pick a margin, I'll go, I'll go six because fouls right. six. Right. Um, yeah. Kevin O'Banner KO, as everyone knows him is Mr. March. Um, a lot of things I like about this roster is experience and that's where we have the edge over Duke. Um, I think the magic number offensively tonight for us is 72 if tech can get to 72 points i think that'll get the job done uh they've held opponents to they held notre dame to 53 and they held montana state to 
67 or something, 60, 62, I think. Yeah, so that 62. was just at the end. They kind of just put all their reserves in and because they already knew they had when the you, game in hand. When you score 97, it's hard to not give up a lot of points because the other team gets so many extra possessions. Right. So. But I like it. Um, I think it's going to be a really good game to watch, up and down game for sure, where momentum is constantly shifting back and forth. It'll be interesting to see what team adjusts better at halftime. Um, while Tech's roster has a lot more experience, Coach K has <laughs> however many times more experience than Mark yeah. Adams. So that'll be really interesting to see how the coaches adjust to each other's adjustments and how Duke's offense can score against Tech's defense is the main matchup I'm looking forward to. But it's going to come down to rebounding and defense. But free throws for Texas Tech. If we can make our free throws tonight, that would be greatly appreciated. Right. Um, <laughs> both of us are very superstitious. And during the round of 32 game on Sunday against Notre Dame, Tech was down four, I believe, with three and a half minutes left. And I turned the game off on the TV, put it on my phone, because that's what worked in the round of 64. We go on a 10-0 run. We hit our last 10 free throws after starting the game three for seven from the line. Uh, finished the game at 13 for 17. Um, so we'll see what happens tonight. If it's going south, may have to switch it up uh, whatever way necessary. But hopefully they can get it done and advance to the Elite Eight with a matchup against Gonzaga or Arkansas on Saturday. Yeah, I was, uh, I was cooking dinner at halftime. After that, finished cooking dinner, eating, I put the I put my Texas Tech jersey on, and with about four to go, I said, "Man, I can't, I can't do it." So I took the jersey off, put my t-shirt back on, so went back to the sit the the, the single the single seat downstairs I was sitting instead of the couch. So uh, I might have to leave the play the location I'm going to be at and come home and sit in the single chair and watch the end of the game if we, if we, if need be. I to all to all measures. Got to. Hey, whatever um, it takes. That's right. We're all in here. We are all in here. All right. We, no, we're not half, no half sends of Texas Tech basketball around here. For real. No, but looking forward to it. We got outside of the Tech Duke game, four really solid games, as you would expect in the Sweet 16. Uh, we got four more tomorrow. Uh, it starts off with St. Peter's versus Purdue. The biggest line of all the Sweet 16 matchups, Purdue's favored by 12 and a half. And I'm going to take them. I think Purdue wins by 16. St. Peter's has played really well, uh, but Purdue's offense, best in the country. I think they play consistently today, and they get the job done, and St. Peter's will run out of gas there in the second half, I think. No love for the Cinderella story. I hate to see it. I'm picking, I'm picking Purdue. Don't get me wrong, but I'm picking St. Saint, Pete's to cover. All right. I'm picking them to cover. I think I just it's hard. 12 and a half is a large margin of victory in a Sweet 16 game, and I think – while Purdue is going to win, they've also – they've been streaky at times too. Um, right. So, I think I'll pick St. Pete's to cover the game. Um, as much as I'd love to see him win and go to the Elite Eight, I am pulling for him so hard. But I think Jaden Ivey is that guy. I think he's so good. Um, I texted you this today. He might be the guy I'm most terrified of in tournament to play if we have to see Purdue at some point because he is – he's so good. Yeah, I think in terms of NBA value – he will be a top five pick. He'll be the top guard off the board. Um, he might go as high as even two overall. 
I think he has the most day one impact as a rookie. I think he's basically Ja Moran. And I just really like what he has. If Tech didn't draft guards each of the last five years, or Tech, if the Spurs didn't draft guards either each of the last five years, I would be pulling for him to be a Spur, but Spurs have needs elsewhere. So I doubt he will be in the cards for us wherever we pick. Um, but in terms of other games on the slate tomorrow, we have Providence versus Kansas. Uh, Kansas is favored by seven and a half, and I'm taking it. I think Kansas wins by 11 or so. Providence, Red Raider fan Jeff Goodman uh, will, will like my take on this. Providence is the luckiest team in the country. Absolutely. No question. They have, they have pulled out uh, a plethora of wins this season where they really shouldn't have won, which has given them that four seed. But The Tech game being one of them. Right. I think they, they dropped the one, the game tomorrow night against Kansas. Kansas just looks consistent. Uh, they're playing really well. I would say they're hot, but they've been hot all season, so. Yeah, I I just think Kansas wins. I think they cover. I think this is the easiest pick for me in terms of picking the spread, picking the team. Kansas looks good. No no, no way around it. If I had to pick a favorite right now to go all the way, it's probably Kansas at this point. Yeah. Um, I think Gonzaga has a tougher road to get there than Kansas does, which is why I say I pick Kansas. Um, they also just look good. They also have a guy – they have a dude in Abaji. So, um, I think they get it done tonight. And, uh, yeah, mail it in. Yeah, and another game tomorrow, the third game on the slate, we got North Carolina versus UCLA. And I like UNC. UNC's hot. They just came – their round of 32 game, they won versus Baylor. Um, if UCLA – or, sorry, if UNC, their, one of their star bigs, Brady Manick, didn't get ejected for an elbow resulting in a flagrant two, with 10 minutes left in the game, I think UNC wins that game by 20. I also picked UNC to go to the Elite Eight, so that's part partially why I have UCLA on upset watch. It was only favored by two and a half, so I'm picking UNC across the board, and I think UNC wins by five or six, if I had to guess. I'm going to go against you here. I'm taking uh, UCLA to cover, minus two and a half. Um, the only reason I do this is because UCLA has – the most tournament experience in this in this entire tournament, considering they have a team that went to Final Four last year. They brought everybody back. Um, so I think I'm going to take UCLA in this one. Um, again, tournament experience is the biggest thing for me. They've been here. They've done that. This is a young UNC team for the most part. Um, no tournament experience for, from last year. Um, so I'm, I'm rocking with UCLA tonight. Yeah, that should be another good game that we have. And – It'll be interesting to see who pulls that one out. I think whoever does has a good shot at coming out of that region, and I'm not sure who they would match up with. I think they would match up with Purdue. My, the, the, ooh, is that, that game? Purdue? UNC versus UCLA would match up with Purdue, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So that would be a really good game, either of those teams going up against Purdue. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what the matchups look like. But the final game we got in the Sweet 16 tomorrow night, Iowa State versus Miami, 11 seed versus a 10 seed. Miami's 
favored by two and a half. A matchup I don't think anyone saw coming here three games into the tourney. I'm going to take Miami, and I'm going to take them to cover. I think Miami wins by seven or so. And I've been really impressed with Iowa State. Um, through the first two games of March Madness, they've really – their offense has run through the freshman, Tyrese Hunter, who won Big 12 Freshman of the Year. He has come through and clutch both games. I think he had 30 or so the other day. And a guy you just can't help but to root for being from the Big 12 and balling out here early in the tournament. Yeah, I'm, I'm pulling for Iowa State to win this game. I just don't think they will. Miami's been really good in big games this year. Um, they've been really good down the stretch, too. They've had to have a couple games where they've just been grittier than teams at the end of the game, and they pulled out a W. Both, but they beat Duke both. They swept Duke. Um, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they swept Duke. So. Yeah. Um, Charlie Moore, that guy is clutch. Mm-hmm. Clutch for uh, for Miami. So I'm picking Miami to get the dub. Two and a half is enough for me to take on their spread to win. So I'll uh, I'll take Miami minus two and a half. And for if all the teams I pick to win do indeed pull out the victory, my final four is going to be Gonzaga, Purdue, Kansas, and Villanova. I know you have a couple different teams uh, in the final four. What do you got? Yeah, uh, I've got if. If my picks hold, I have Gonzaga beating Tech, unfortunately, in the in the Elite Eight game. You got uh, UCLA beating Purdue in an upset. I've got Kansas beating Miami, and I've got U I got UH beating Michigan in my matchups. Um, of that group, probably Gonzaga Kansas final, which I would hate to see, but because it's two ones. But we got chalk last year with two ones, probably the top two seeds last year too. So um, probably the top two seeds this year were Kansas and Gonzaga. So I think they'll. Uh, Get it done. I like it. I have Gonzaga and Kansas as well. I think, I mean, Gonzaga's defense gets overshadowed. They have the number nine defense, which I think will help them a lot as they are slated to play Purdue in the final four. So that'll be interesting to see if that does happen. That's pretty much all we have for March Madness, giving you an update on kind of where the bracket stands, what matchups we have today, tomorrow, potential matchups Saturday, Sunday. Um, really looking forward to seeing how this weekend goes and how next weekend goes. But you got anything left to say about March Madness? Um, I just hope we see some. We see eight really good games and then four really good games on over the weekend. So twelve total. I hope we see twelve great games. I think they I think they will be. I don't know if there's a single blowout. Uh, maybe because the Gonzaga game against Arkansas is a blowout in my mind. But um, I really, really, really like the matchups we have this week and. I think it should be some great games. Pulling for Tech, obviously, all the way, but um, I'm just hoping for some great games here, honestly. And uh, I guess since basketball, we're done with that, we'll kind of switch over to football, college football, that is. Not a lot to talk about, to be honest. It's kind of in a dead period, especially because March Madness is kind of dominating the college world, as well as college baseball getting going here, ramping up. Um, not a ton to start with. I I'll, I'll, I'll guess we'll just hit on some Tech-specific stuff. Started their spring practice this week. Um, really looking forward to seeing how that progresses. Uh, a little unknown around the roster and the state of the rosters. The outlook going into next season, we just don't really know. Uh, there's been so many, so many guys that have come in through the via the transfer portal, and we don't really know what that roster. We have some guys that have left, had some seniors leave. So I'm just curious to see how that kind of kind of uh, unfolds here pretty soon. Yeah, it'll be 
really exciting to see what tech football looks like coming up here in August, September, as the season rolls around. Want to make it out to the spring game, see how it goes. But Big 12 is looking good again this year. Um, hope we can get the new teams coming in sooner rather than later. But definitely excited for football season and a lot of momentum around the program. But, yeah, like you said, not, not a whole lot to talk about in the college base, college football front. But as for the professional football NFL, we got a couple big deals happening in the past few days that – we're not covered on the last episode last Thursday. So to start off, Teron Armstead, the number one overall ranked free agent this offseason, reached a deal with the Dolphins uh, for five years, $75 million, So that averages out to 15 a year. But incentives can make it up to 87 and a half and just over $43 million guaranteed. So 15 mil up to 17 and a half annually. Really big get for the Dolphins. Um, you're going to address another addition that the Dolphins just made in a sec. But I think the Dolphins are – they're going all in. And rightfully so. They have a quarterback on a rookie deal and really want to see if what they have – what they see in him is what they have in him before they waste his next few years on the rookie deal. So I guess we're going to find out this year in a loaded AFC. But AFC's talent – that's getting traded is not leaving the NFC, but NFC talent that's getting traded is coming to the AFC. So kind of get me started. Don't get me on that soapbox right now. You, nobody, nobody wants that. Nobody wants me on that soapbox right now with the AFC talent, man. Um, crazy. No, I'm a, I'm a fan of the deal for the dolphins. It's honestly uh, the incentives up to 87, five. That's still a good deal for, for probably the best left tackle in football right now in terms of just, Still, he probably is. I don't think he is in the, in the coming years um, just due to age. But I think it's a really good signing for them. It's interesting that they still – they went out and paid a premium for the left tackle, even though two is a, a lefty. It's kind of yeah. funny because it's not his blind side. But either way, you, you shore up the run game even more. Um, Austin Jackson was an absolute dud of an 18th overall pick for them. So it's good that they got they got a, a left tackle in there. Um, but Miami, talk about going all in. This, this other move they made here was – came out of left field um, got an Ian Rappaport tweet on Wednesday after early afternoon, or maybe it was around like 1130, 1145, maybe noon, basically saying that Tyree kills going to get traded. Um, they don't know where yet, but that hit his contracts uh, talks with the chiefs had stalled due directly to the fact that they didn't sign him before Devonta Adams got his money from Las Vegas after the trade. And Tyreek Hill said, I want that kind of money. I just I feel like I deserve to be paid like that. And he probably does deserve, deserve to be paid like that, considering his production for the Chiefs. Um, and they just couldn't. I mean, they they have too much money to commit to other more valuable pieces, one being their left tackle that is traded for Orlando Brown. Patrick Mahomes' money is coming up pretty soon. I know his contract, he already got his extension, but that money starts to kick in in the next couple of years. They've got to keep paying Travis Kelsey. I think he's the most valuable weapon in the, in the NFL, potentially. Um they got, I mean, they have a bunch of money sunk on their own line, which is the right decision. But um, so ultimately they ended up, it was two teams that came down to were the Jets and the Dolphins. Reports came out today that the Jets were never really in it. They just had an offer that the Chiefs liked and that Tyreek always wanted to go to Miami if that was going to be, that was going to be what happened. Uh, it was just about Miami getting, getting the compensation right for Tyreek, which ended up being where he landed in the trade to Miami, which was for five picks total, including a first and second this year. And the total pick call was the number 29 pick this year the 50 pick this year, a fourth round pick this year, which should be the 121 or 125. Don't we don't know yet. 
because uh, the Dolphins have two fourths. And then uh, next year's draft, they get a twenty or a 2023 fourth and a 2023 sixth. Um, so I'll let you kind of provide your your commentary on that. Yeah, pretty crazy. I know, you've got some, I know you have some thoughts. Pretty crazy. Um, five picks for one player, five for once. Not always ideal for the team getting the one just because they're giving up a ton of capital. That's just my stance on it. Um, but the Raiders, I think, are the winners of this trade because if – I mean, really every team in the AFC West with the Raiders more specifically because of Devontae Adams, if they saw that that Devontae Adams deal was coming with Tyreek leaving the division, it would have looked that much better. Um, but it's kind of crazy, the wider receiver market. Um, Tyreek wanted a trade because of that, like you said. But he got a four-year, $120 million extension technically – uh, 72 million of that is guaranteed extension kicks in next season and his fourth season of extension is really just an inflationary year. Um, his cap, it's over $50 million, which is just absurd for any player, let alone a wide receiver. Um, markets inflated rapidly. Created, he'll, he will, he will never see that money. Just to clarify, this right. deal is basically a three year, $75 million deal. Essentially. He will right. never see that, that cap hit. The dolphins did it that way on purpose to inflate his money and make it look like he's getting $30 million annual average, when in reality he's getting 25. It's basically three years, 75, fully guaranteed. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's crazy. Um, but not only wide receivers, but QB contracts now affecting the team's ability to pay wide receivers, like you said, with Mahomes' deal, and they have to play Orlando Brown. But with Adams getting that deal with the Raiders kind of was the root of the Tyreek Tyreek wanting a trade, Casey granting his request, and him in the end ending up where he calls home in Miami. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a win-win for both sides, in my opinion. I don't think there was like one clear-cut winner, one clear-cut loser. I think right. Uh, the the Chiefs won first of all. Mad respect to to their uh, to their their front office. They did right by Tyreek Hill, which is saying, "Hey, here are our offers. Where would you like to go?" Um, that's hundred percent the right thing to do. I think they handled it perfectly. I think it's not like Tyreek wanted to leave Kansas City. That that wasn't right. the case. Uh, it was simply just the fact the fact that he needed to get paid and and the chief said well we can't do that let's get you let's go find you somewhere that can that can get you paid um i know the 5 for 1 is like the which we talked about was like kind of the big number but in reality it's really two picks of value and yeah you can maybe hit on a fourth rounder but to me what matters is the one and the two that 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 are those are the two picks of value again two fourths and a sixth Great, you're getting a couple special teamers and, and maybe you can maybe like an edge four or a guard to like a backup center. So I mean it's it's great that you get the value, but I'm never a fan of teams loading up like trade value chart deal, like getting the trade value up with trade value chart picks that are like, let me let me just throw seven, like let me throw you three seventh rounders and a couple sixths. Like I don't I don't want those. You know what I mean? Like, what am I yeah. gonna do with those? Dra- draft a long snapper? No. I'm more I'm more concerned with like third out day two picks and, and higher is my maybe an early fourth, but still I'm thinking day two picks and higher are, are what matters. And um, again, Casey gets, gets two of those picks, essentially a similar deal to the Vontae Adams deal. Um, they get a couple other picks they can hit on, which is great. Um, but yeah, talk about the market. It's pretty crazy. Uh, receivers are getting paid like left tackles and edge rushers almost just absurd to me. Um, but again, that that's just kind of how it is. The, it, the market's going to inflate as the cap inflates and it's, as long as we're not seeing a massive increase in percentage of the cap that these guys are taking up in their cap hits, 
I think it's reasonable to increase pay as the cap increases. Um, right. Again, it's all about percentage of the cap these guys are taking up. Um, and kind of talking about the market here, still waiting for, for Stephon Gilmore and OBJ to get signed. Um, the report is that Kansas City's in on, on Stephon Gilmore if his price comes down. So be curious to see what happens. They need a corner badly. They lost various Ward. We talked about this in, in, during Mock Draft Monday. They have to get a corner. Like, they, they have to. The division is so loaded now at receiver. The Chargers having Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. Uh, and they just signed Gerald Everett, who's a really solid tight end. You have the, the Raiders have Darren Waller, Devontae Adams, and Hunter Renfrew, who's a really good receiver. Uh, Denver has Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, and K.J. Hamler, who's, I think, a slept-on wide receiver four. So they have to get better at corner, which I could see them shelling out a little bit of money for him. No, definitely, yeah. It'll be interesting to see where these remaining free, free agents go and when they go. Um, we've kind of concluded on the phase one of free agency. We're just waiting on Watson to be traded. But I, it'll be interesting. Bobby Wagner actually visited the Rams on Wednesday. There's mutual interest between the two, and I know one of his desires was to stay in the NFC West so he could play Seattle twice a year. They did I love not, it. See, so they didn't so petty. Him, they didn't tell him at all that he was going to be released or anything. But with a sixteen point six million dollar cap hit, I feel like it was bound to happen. It's just they didn't do it in the most professional manner. We did have a move today um, in wake of the Tyree Kill trade. Kansas City signed a receiver to help replace that void, or help fill that void, should I say? They signed Marquez Valdez Scantling. Uh, he was previously with the Packers, a solid wide receiver two for them behind Devontae Adams. Don't know what he can do without a wide receiver one because as of now, the Chiefs don't have a true wide receiver one. Travis Kelsey is technically a wide receiver one, just a tight end. The deal is three years, $30 million, $18 million guaranteed, which I, I like the deal. About $10 million a year is what I would expect for a solid wide receiver two, um, even on the lower end maybe based on this offseason. But I want to see what else the Chiefs do for wide receiver. If they draft one, you feel like they have to, even with the signing, kind of solidify that room, help promote competition within it. But what do you think on the Chiefs route, what they should do with wide receivers? I like First of all, I like the deal for MVS. Um, I don't know. I saw – it makes a little less sense seeing that they've now committed basically $20 million to him and Juju again, but it's a good signing. It's, it fills a kind of what Tyreek did. Nothing, not now. He's never gonna be what Tyreek is. Don't, don't, I want him to get that right. mixed up. I just think he fills the deep threat ability that Tyreek had at a higher level than what McCall Harmony can do. Um, I'll give you a guy that should pick Christian Watson receiver out of North Dakota state, big body, really fast. I like Christian Watson a lot. Um, I like him more than Calvin Austin. Everyone's going to say Calvin Austin because he, he profiles like Tyreek, but I've said this before. I've said this to you. We've had this conversation before. There is no other Tyreek Hill. Like, there aren't receivers at that size that are that strong and run that good of routes. Like, the reason Tyreek Hill's really, really good is because he runs really good routes and he's really, really strong. I mean, if, you, right. if anyone's ever seen the guy like in street clothes, yeah, he's short, but he, dude is jacked. Like, I mean, he's shredded. He is so big. It's crazy and how he doesn't really have any weaknesses in his game. Mm -mm. Most guys, no, he really, he really doesn't. Most guys would think he's a deep threat if they just saw his measurables, but he has all the intangibles 
to be a good receiver. He even plays bigger than he is. But when you get that much separation each route, you don't have to play too big, especially when you have good quarterbacks thrown to you. Yeah. But I like Kristen Watson a lot. I think he's a guy that could even sneak up in the first. I think Casey. I think, could I think take that's him. where they'll pick him. Honestly, at thirty, I think that's where they're going to take him. If they don't, if they don't move one of those picks to go up and get a receiver, Christian Watson at thirty. I'm not. I'm going to say this, despite my gut feeling telling me not to put this out in the universe to to have happen, is George Pickens to the Chiefs. I would. I yeah. would be so mad. I would be so mad because I I love George Pickens. Maybe one of my favorite guys in this class, just because like he's getting slept on. He's really talented. He's battled through some really tough stuff. I would be so pissed if he went to KC and we had to see him twice a year. But um, I guess I'm going to touch back on that MVS contract real quick. That might be a similar framework for Odell's contract. I, I don't know if there's a great market for him coming off an ACL injury, another ACL injury. Right. And I think he maybe gets a just a tick more potentially. Uh, but I think that's a framework for that deal that's going to get done. There was rumors he's going back to Cleveland. They got reported as unlikely. Um, granted, he really wanted – he didn't really want to play with Baker anymore, but there's also some tension with the front office and coaching staff, the way he departed and the way he handled himself there, from what I understand. Um, so the sources kind of came out that he doesn't really – it's unlikely he goes back there. The Rams have interest in signing him. I just don't know if Odell wants to go and play for what the Rams want to sign him for. So I think the MVS deal works as a, as a, as a structure for what that Odell deal could look like, maybe adding a couple million on there. That's a good point there. I think they're kind of similar in terms of the value they can bring to a team. OBJ obviously has a better resume and really a solid wide receiver too. It'll be interesting to see if he goes to a team where he needs to be a wide receiver one, which I don't think will happen. But always a possibility. Um, but I think he's best. What about, the, what about the Jets? What about the Jets for him? Yeah, I could see it. Kind of a team that needs a wide receiver i don't know or atlanta i don't know if the jets want him per se i mean they definitely seem interested in receivers but i just don't know if there will be mutual interest between them atlanta is definitely a place i could see i feel like i don't know if odell would want to play with Mariota. i don't know if Mariota's their starting quarterback the whole year i don't know what the deal is at quarterback officially for them i feel he will want to know what Atlanta's plan is at quarterback before he signs. Yeah, no, of course, so, of course. But I feel like, yeah, like you said, maybe a touch more than Scantling's deal, probably around 11, 12 a year. Well, the question for OBJ know. ultimately, it ultimately becomes, do you want to win and take a pay cut and likely sign with a contender, but you're not going to get as much money? Or would you rather go make your money? And I, for me, if I'm Odell, I'm picking short-term money. Short chase my I just got a ring. I'll chase my ring later. I want short term money. If I'm OBJ, I don't care who's playing quarterback. I want all the guaranteed money I can get. So Atlanta, New York, not the jot the Giants, the Jets, not the Giants. Um Jacksonville, no. I mean, I would have said that before free agency, but somewhere that's gonna give him money, I think is where he ends up. I agree. Um, kind of tough to do a one year contract because he's coming off ACL, but definitely yeah. a shorter contract. He's in my cards for Odell, I believe. And then I guess the last thing we got for, I guess, for the whole pod today is, is uh, I mean, me personally, I'm really looking forward to seeing how uh, teams schedule meetings with guys come pro with pro days, probably picking up Ohio State of their pro day yesterday, uh, Cincinnati of their pro day yesterday, 
Or today? Bama's today, yeah. Cincinnati was today. Bama's in four days. Yeah. I mean, most of the Power Fives, all the big schools are getting getting their pro. Georgia's was last week, and we I think we touched on that. But I'm really looking forward to see pro days and see more. It's not about testing. Most guys don't really test their pro days if they had a good combine. But what teams schedule meetings with them? Um, I'm curious to see the Chargers schedule meetings with. Um, no rumors about them signing a, a getting a meeting with Olave. It's interesting to me, at least. That was my pick on on MDM. A little bit of a spoiler. Go listen to it if you haven't. It was an absolute heater. Um, oh, yeah. What it was pre Tyreek trade because it sure. happened yesterday. But um, no, I'll be. I'm interested to see what happens with meetings and, and teams. Kind of seeing what high level talent they want to meet with. It kind of helps us. It helps at least for us people that want to do mock drafts. It helps you kind of circle in. Okay, who are teams potentially targeting? It's not always accurate, but it kind of gives you almost a baseline a little bit. You know. Yep, I agree. Um, definitely interesting to see coming down the stretch here as we get into this phase two of free agency pretty soon. Now we got draft prep, like you said. There's going to be some visits. Um, as for the draft itself, though, a point I just wanted to touch on, Kansas City now has back-to-back picks as well. It'll be interesting to see what they do with that. Philly has 15 and 16. They're the other team with back-to-back picks. I don't think Kansas City probably picks at both those spots be interesting to see late day one what teams want to trade up into the first and take a guy on day one while Casey trades back. I just think that's likely. I don't think Casey makes both those picks just because picking back-to-back, you lose value per se, whereas if you're picking separately, you can gain value from a trade or something like that. Yeah, we got a we got a tweet seven twenty seven minutes ago we were recording. The Giants are open to trading one of their first round picks, likely seven if I had to guess. Yeah. Um, so they, I, I don't think they pick at seven. I think they're trading back. Um, I teams agree. I could see, I guess off the off the dome, teams I could see going up to get a guy. I could see the Ravens getting a guy because they're yeah. in a room of contention with an immediate impact guy. I could see the Chargers, same thing. Both of our two teams could definitely. They're we have aggressive GMs, guys that have done aggressive moves in the past. Um, gone up and gotten guys just because both, both those teams are in contention right now and they're not having to go up too far to get to seven. Um, I could see Washington maybe going up and jumping Atlanta to get a receiver that they want ahead of Atlanta. Um, Steelers only I have think, five or six picks, but I could see them figuring yeah, out getting something a quarterback. to move up to seven. I don't know if that means adding a player in there or what, but I five. could see it. If the Steelers go up, it's to five to jump to jump Carolina, I think. Because it's only two more picks. It's only two more picks. You figure New York's not pigeonholing themselves. It's five or seven to but one position. The Giants try to ramp up the compensation because Pittsburgh wants to jump Carolina. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think Pittsburgh might do it. They love Millie Willis, apparently. I mean, we, we've yeah. talked about that plenty. I could if that if that's the guy they want and he doesn't go at two, they have to go to five, I think. Because Carolina ain't moving back, I don't think. Yeah, Mike they Tomlin. Want had a one-on-one dinner with Malik Willis the day before Malik's pro day um, where all 32 teams were in attendance. And pro days are kind of happening. Desmond Ritter's is going on right now. Pro days across the across all of the draft prospects, QBs have been impressive, as they should be. I mean, pro quarterbacks going against air. But the, there have been some very impressive throws, especially Malik Willis. Pickett had an impressive throw. Corral had a really nice one. I heard Ritter had a good one. So 
I think Willis is probably the best pro day just because I saw about a 30-second clip. There were about 10 or so throws that were just insane that if those translate to Sundays, he'll be a very good football player at the next level. Bet on the arm talent. Bet on the arm talent. If the, if the tape isn't always there, bet on the arm talent. Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Pat Mahomes, arguably the three best quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Arm talent was there in college. The tape wasn't beautiful. The arm talent was there. Bet on the arm talent. Malik Willis is QB1. Plant that flag. I'll do it. He's not the best from day one. He's the best quarterback in this draft, though. Maybe I not the most that. pro ready. I had that but flag I'm, I'm, planted a long time yeah. ago. I uh, know. You, you've been on the Malik Willis train for a minute. Uh, I'm hopping on. Uh, the arm talent is stupid. I mean, I, it's just dumb. So I bet on the arm talent. Um, take Malik Willis if you if that's what you listen. Any anybody picking a quarterback that you ain't contending for a Super Bowl, especially in the AFC, bet on the future. Bet on the future. But I think that's all we got today. Um, Brett, you want anything you want to say before we get out of here? I don't think so. We covered a lot of stuff. A lot of sports getting hot. We got March Madness. NFL free agency and trades, MLBs ramping up, NBA playoffs are going to start soon, college baseball is getting going, golf's getting hot with the Masters coming up, so a lot of stuff to unfold in these next few weeks, and it'll be exciting to see what goes on and how things pan out across the multiple organizations, so we love covering all these sports and all these different levels, college, pro for y'all, so we're going to keep doing it, and always keep y'all filled in on the latest info but if you haven't already go ahead and follow us on cold seat podcast on twitter or instagram our podcasts are on spotify google apple cold seat podcast appreciate y'all listening tuning in and we'll have the third edition of mock draft monday here for you in four days so stay tuned and we'll see y'all in a few days see you guys then